Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I'm deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little further, he threw himself on the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping? And taking your rest, see, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with them, was a large crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man, arrest him. At once he came to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you're here to do. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Suddenly, one of those with Jesus put his hand on the sword and drew it and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? And how would the scriptures be fulfilled which say it must happen this way? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I was a bandit? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you didn't arrest me. But all this has taken place so that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Thanks, Tim. So I'm going to uh, start with a prayer, and then we'll, we'll get going. So Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for all the people here this morning and those watching online. I thank you for the, the story that we have in Matthew uh, that, that tells your life and, and, and what happened with Jesus. I just thank you for sending him uh, for us, and I just pray that you'll... Um, be with us all uh, this morning and give us some good things to think about. Amen. So here at Narrate, uh, it was the weekend after Easter last year. We started with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, Adam's been walking through it one, you know, one section at a time for almost a year now. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we had to jump ahead a little bit a couple weeks ago. Uh, and then I think we're going to come back to that section that we, that we skipped over uh, for Passion Week. And so... Two weeks ago, Adam talked about, or started in chapter 26, um, talking about, uh, you know, what, what does it look like? Is God in charge or is he controlling? And maybe what the difference is between those two things. Uh, and he also talked about, 
You know, was, was Jesus a willing participant in the, in the crucifixion, or was it just something that he, he had to do? And then last week, uh, we were in the Last Supper, is, is the section we were in, and Adam talked about um, uh, the meal and, and how Jesus really leaned into the tradition, the tradition of the Passover meal uh, that had been uh, part of their lives for so long. And then, but then how he also changed it, how he messed with it, how he introduced the new covenant of his blood and his body, and, and, and what, what that change looked like. So this week, we're going to uh, continue on with that, um, with what happened after they left that Last Supper. But first, I want to ask a question. Uh, What's something that you uh, enjoy doing, that you love to do? Maybe something that takes up uh, time or money or like, you know, your resources that you have. Maybe something that you watch videos on, uh, listen to podcasts, uh, read books about. And you love to do it, but you're really not very good at it. You got something? Um, You know, maybe it's something that... uh, that you wish you were better, and I, and I get that being good at it is very subjective, right? So a lot of times we're, we're pretty hard on ourselves, or maybe, um, but, but maybe we wish, just wish we were better, wish that we understood it more, um, and that. I have a lot of these things. Uh, one of those uh, is elk hunting, especially bow hunting for elk. Um, if you didn't know, we've lived here in Helena for uh, almost 20 years now, and there was really two reasons why I was okay to come into Helena. Um, the first one is the number of elk that are around the area. I came over here elk hunting, and I saw elk every day. I thought that was really cool. Any guesses on what the second one was? The fishing. <laughs> I like the fishing, too. we got great fishing in this area. Uh, so, um, but it's something that, you know, for a lot of years, I, I, I love doing it. And over and over and over, I'm showing just how inept I am at, at elk hunting. I have a, a couple stories that... Um, to talk about. Uh, the first one happened several years ago. I was out, uh, out hunting with a friend of mine, and we had a really slow morning that day, from what I remember. It was in early October, so the weather was pretty warm. Um, you know, we, we didn't see any elk, we hadn't heard any elk, uh, but it was a nice day, so we were having a lot of fun. Um, so we got up on top of a mountain, and a lot of times during archery season, you get up early, you know, you hunt in the morning, you end up somewhere, and you can either go back to camp after that, or you can hang out uh, where you're at for the evening hunt. So we were talking about what to do and uh, decided, well, let's have a snack and, and figure out what we're going to do. That's another thing I, I do like to eat and I am pretty good at it. <laughs> so I, we took our bows, um, we set our bows up against a tree um, and for people like me that bow hunt with a release, there's a little release that goes on your hand, you know, that helps you to, to shoot, the, uh, shoot the bow. I took my release off, set it there by the bow because it is hard to eat a sandwich when you have the release on. And so I set those down there, and, and, we, and we were just ha- hanging out, having a good time talking. And uh, partway through the, our, our snack, um, I heard a sound. It sounded like this. <coughs> that sound is? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> so it, it was an elk bugle. We heard an elk bugle. And so we, uh, we got pretty excited, you know, that, oh, our first elk bugle of the day, right in the middle of the day. And so I gave him back one of these. And it answered back right away. <laughs> Oops, which was pretty exciting. Thanks for muting me back there. <laughs> I wasn't sure how I was going to do that part. Um, he answered back right away. So, but, but then we got to talking and thought, you know what, that just didn't sound right. I spend most of my time hunting on public land. Um, and there's a lot of hunters out there these days, especially during archery season. 
And I thought, we, we talked about it and decided, you know what, that I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a hunter. Um, but it was a slow day, so let's have some fun with him. So we just kept calling back and forth while we were eating our, our snacks, and, and we were up on top of the mountain. He was down, uh, quite a ways down the mountain, and he started coming up towards us. I thought, oh, this is perfect, you know, we'll, we'll call him right in, and, uh, <laughs> and then we can laugh. And, and if you haven't archery hunted, sometimes when people get called in, when you call in another person, they get mad. They, they throw their hat down, they stomp off, they won't talk to you. Um, sometimes that happens. And other times when you call in another hunter, they're, they're really gracious and they come over and they, you know, then you can make a plan and say, well, we're going to split up or do something different. I've met some great people um, just out doing that. But in this case, um, uh, we, were, we were eating and I saw some movement through the trees down below us, down across this little meadow. So I got my binoculars and I was watching and I, I said, oh, there he is. He's going to pop out right over there. And then I saw his leg as he was walking through the trees. I said, yep, he's going to pop out right there. So we're sitting there waiting, and then he popped out into the open, except it wasn't a hunter. It was a big bull elk. <laughs> and so there we were. We, we looked at each other. Our bows are sitting over off to the side. Our releases are over there. We can't do anything, you know, because we're out just in the wide open sitting on a log. So this elk walked well within bow range, walked right by us, and he just kept bugling as he walked by us, and he walked into the trees. And so we... When he went to the trees, we got our stuff, went after him, and it didn't work out. We never saw him again. So that was, that was kind of fun, sort of. <laughs> and then uh, another time, there was a couple years later, I was hunting with my brother. And we, on this hunt, we were backpacking in, so we were camping up on top of the mountain. In the morning, the elk would come out into the meadows up on top, and then they'd go down into the creek bottoms. And every day we'd wake up, the elk would be there, we'd chase him down into the bottom. Then in the afternoons, we'd chase him back up. Uh, didn't get any shots or anything, but it, it, that was fun. One day we, we had chased him down into the creek bottom, and again, it was another beautiful day. We had the sun was shining, uh, a nice little creek. You know, there's some little fish in it and stuff, but they were uh, hanging out there, and I thought, I'm going to take a nap. The older I get, the more often I, I like to take naps during the day. My boys aren't crazy about that. Uh, I thought, I'm going to take a nap. So I took my backpack off, I set it there. This time I kept my release on because I've learned that one now, right? And I had my bow sitting beside me. And I late closed my eyes and I fell asleep. And I was having a really good nap. I was probably having a good dream about something. And, and I heard this noise. Anybody ever hear that one? Elk actually bark sometimes. And when they bark at you, it's not a good sign. So this elk was barking at me. And I, I woke up and I looked over and here was a cow elk standing Again, not very far away from me, just staring at me, watching me take a nap. <laughs> I didn't get that one either. <laughs> and it, just in case you think that, like, I figured this out, this happened to me last fall, too. That one was during rifle season. I was up on top of a mountain again, enjoying the sunshine, glass in all the areas around. And I, I heard a noise, and I looked kind of down by my, through my knees, you know, downhill. And a cow elk stepped up at 30 yards, and she walked by within 10 feet of me. And, you know, it was a cow that I, I didn't have a permit for. Dylan didn't go with me that day. Um, but, I, you know, but if it would have been a bull, I wouldn't have got that one either. So, I, in my defense, I learned to hunt elk from my dad. And anybody that knows him wouldn't tell you that, you know, he's not a good elk hunter either. I think my boys are, are hoping that, uh, that they can break this, this curse on how we hunt elk. Um, but we still love to do it. Uh, it's still something that I, I, I really enjoy. So, 
The next question is, you know, how about these disciples? Were they good at being disciples? You know, were they, were they good at it? I, we'll talk some more about this. Um, but so we're picking up in this section where they just finished the Last Supper, and, and Jesus took the disciples, and they went to the Mount of Olives. And on the Mount of Olives was a bunch of olive trees, um, like up in the picture there. Um, this is actually a, a, a modern picture from um, the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Gethsemane actually means uh, olive press. So my understanding is on the Mount of Olives, where all these olive groves were, people would go up there and harvest the olives, and they would take them over to the press uh, to get the olive oil. And so now uh, this is a place that Jesus liked to go um, for, for time and prayer and things. Um, and on this trip, he took along uh, three, three of his disciples. All of the disciples, presumably minus Judas, went with him to the um, garden. And then with three of them, he took a little, uh, three more. Go ahead and go to that next one. One more. So yeah, it says he took with him Peter and the two sons of, of Zebedee. Now, why did he take these three? Uh, I, I think, in, in my opinion, there's, there's several reasons why. Um, one of them w- was that uh, these seemed to be three that he was pretty close to. Uh, Lexi talked a few weeks ago about the Transfiguration, and that was on a different mountain. Um, but these are the same three he took with him uh, there. Um, I think it's reasonable to say that he was close to them, and he wanted their company. Um, that they were three that he had a lot of faith in, a lot of trust in. Um, I also think it's, it's possible that he wanted to disciple them all the way to the very end. That, that was, these were three that he was, he was really leaning into and really wanted to uh, work with all the way to the very end. And so he took these three, and, and go to the next one, and, and, then, and then he began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here. Stay awake with me. So what, why would you ask them that? You know, there's uh, a time earlier um, in Matthew, when, uh, before he met the disciples, when he spent some time alone in the wilderness. You know, that was kind of the first time, I think, that he was really... Um, really tested, really tempted, and, and he was alone in that one. I think it's reasonable to say that maybe, you know, he wanted these three to come along and to stay awake, to keep watch um, for company, and also, again, to, to help, um, help teach them. But did they do it? No, we, we, as, as Tim read, we, we heard that, no, they, uh, they fell asleep. And when, after they fell asleep, he came back to them and, and, and woke them up and said, can't you stay awake with me for one hour? Now, 2,000 years later, this seems kind of weird to me. Um, they'd been with Jesus for a long time. They've witnessed the miracles um, that, that he'd performed. They'd also, again, been to the mountain for the transfiguration. Um, just a little bit before that, he had told them that on this night, uh, you're going you're gonna, to uh, fall away from me. And they all argued with him. They, they were all pretty adamant that, no, we won't. And especially Peter saying, you know, even till death, um, I'm here with you. I also understand that um, during the Passover meals, it was customary to stay awake for quite a while uh, after the meal to talk about God's act of redemption for his people. So it seems like the disciples, you know, have, have a precedent of after, after the meal, we're going to stay awake for a while, we're going to talk about things. And then they also are going up on a mountain um, going up on a mountain, you know, the, frequently throughout the Bible, great things have happened or amazing things have happened. So it seems like the disciples were really set up to succeed. Like they have all the information that they need um, to, to do right. And 
And then Jesus asked them a, a simple request, you know, can you just stay awake with me? Can you stay awake with me for one hour? And they didn't do it. Um, they fell asleep. There's also another, another story in, in, in Matthew, back in Matthew 8, uh, that, that, we, that we can kind of compare and contrast with this. And that was a time when uh, they got on a boat, and I'll, I'll, just, I'll read it here. And it says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A windstorm arose on the sea, so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Go ahead and go to the next one. And they went uh, and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a dead calm. So looking at that time, the disciples thought that there was, there was a big danger. There was, there, was, there was reason to be very afraid, reason to be alert, reason to be awake. And Jesus said, no, don't, don't worry about it. This, I have this under control. So I would think as a disciple, if he came and said, okay, now this is something really important. I need you to pay attention. I need you to stay awake. I mean, one, one way would be to say, well, he wasn't concerned about the waves. This must be a really big thing. Um. But, but, but it didn't happen that way. Again, they fell asleep. So do you, do you think the disciples loved being disciples? I think so too. I, I think they really did. I think that their intentions were solid. I, I really think that when Jesus was talking to them and they were, um, they were saying that they would be with him until the end, that they would not leave him, that they were serious. I really think that their intentions were good. But, but their, their follow-through maybe was lacking. So what was their failure? Was it they, that they fell asleep? Was it they, they weren't paying attention? You know, another thing that I understand at this time was that, that vigilance was a very important quality. When someone was asked to keep watch, to pay attention, it was expected that they would. You know, they didn't have the modern technology things like we do for surveillance. So it was really important if someone said, keep watch, that, that they would take that very seriously. So their follow-through maybe, maybe wasn't very good. But what does Jesus do with that? I, I think it would be reasonable for him to have said, you know what, if you guys aren't going to stay awake, I, I, I can do this on my own. I'll see you later. Um, and just left them sleeping, and I mean, that might be something that some of us would do, is just say, well, to heck with you. I'm going on my own. But that's not what he did, right? In Matthew 26, 46, he says, get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. He wanted him to go with him still, right? He's still one of those disciples with him, even though they'd, they'd missed it. They'd missed what was important, maybe. Maybe what they thought was important was like, hey, we got some big things coming up, so I need to get some rest, I need to take a nap, get ready to go. But, but maybe that wasn't what Jesus wanted. Maybe that wasn't what was important there. And then we come to the part where, where the crowds come, and Judas comes, and, and he says, uh, you know, the one I kiss is the one to arrest. And here again, Jesus said to him, friend, do what you are here to do. Can you imagine the, the compassion it takes to, to, for him to have said that, you know, to still call him friend? Even though, like, the other ones, they fell asleep, they let him down, they missed what was important, but, but Judas actually betrayed him, and he still calls him friend. So, another question for you is, is, what if devotion to prayer and following Jesus is, and not the best intentions can carry us through hard times? What, what, what would we do with that? Well, I think the good news for us is that uh, the Bible is full of people who 
missed it, who maybe weren't obviously capable um, of, of doing things. The Bible's full of people that, ordinary people, that God has, has used for extraordinary things. So what if Matthew is, uh, you know, including the details in this story as encouragement for us? You know, 2,000 years later, we can be encouraged that, you know, no, ma- no, matter, um, no, ma- no matter when we miss it, Jesus still wants our company. God still wants us to be with him. So, an- another question I had, I wanted to talk about in this, in this section is, how did Jesus know what was going on? How did he know uh, what was, what was going to be happening? And I think there's a few answers to that as well. Um, one is the Son of God. That's one, one of them. But another one is, uh, you know, he knew the Scriptures. And how often, even in this section, I, I think there's two or three times where he says, you know, to, so that the Scriptures can be fulfilled. And according to the Scriptures, this is what will happen. He knew that. He knew the history. He knew what was there before. He knew what was, what was, what was prophesied. And he also spent a lot of time in prayer. Like we talked about earlier, he, he spent a lot of time at Gethsemane, but, but throughout Matthew, it's been continually referenced back to spending time in prayer and how important that is. So uh, at the part where he goes off a little farther from, from the other three, it says, and going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. So Jesus knew what was going to happen, and I, I think there's a pretty good argument to say that he didn't want it to happen. If he could have, you know, it, it was something that wouldn't have been his first choice. If there's another option, let's do that. Let's, let's, let's find that option. And I think one thing that implies is there wasn't another option for this, that if there would have been another option, it probably would have happened, but the, there wasn't. So, but then Jesus says, but not what I want, it's what you want. And then after he went back and, and woke up the three guys the first time, he said, he, came, he said, again, he went away for a second time and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So Jesus knew that this had to happen, and it wouldn't have been his first choice, but he knew that it had to happen. And he knew that if this was God's will, that, that God would give him the strength to get through it. So, Oh, almost jumped ahead. So how do we know what that is? How do we know what, how, how can we know maybe what God's will is for us or, or what we should be doing? Um, I had a coach I was working with a couple years ago, and I asked him that question because I, I was kind of struggling with some stuff about um, the direction in my, in my life where I was going to go. And, and I asked him, you know, so, so how do I know, like, is this a direction God has for me? And in true coach fashion, he asked me back, he said, that's a good question. How would you know? Which is, that isn't always helpful, but it, it started a good dialogue. Um, and one of the things, and again, this was a couple years ago, one of the things that really stood out to me was, um, he asked me some question about, well, when do you give God space? Or when do you give yourself space to hear, to listen? And as we talked, talked through that, it was, it was obvious that my life, I kind of have a lot of distractions, whether it's when I'm driving, listening to, to podcasts, or listening to the radio, um, whether it's uh, on my phone, um, all these other things, all these distractions that happen. Uh, I haven't really, not really, really been good at giving God space to, uh, to know that. And also looking at, at this section, you know, how, how have I done it at understanding the scriptures? 
I love that we've walked through Matthew the way we have. This has been so helpful to me. I, I, I trust it's been helpful to some of you to, to look at just this in, in sequence and to hear, um, you know, mostly Adam, but other people's take on, on what was really going on. So, back to the question I want to ask, like, what do you, uh, what do you love to do but maybe aren't very good at? What, what would it look like to... Um, well, if we're, if we're talking about that in the context of things like relationships, uh, whether they be friendships or, you know, like romantic, romantic relationships or parenting, you know, what would it look like to, um, to, to trust that even if we're not very good at it or feel like we're very good at it, that the act of, uh, of doing it is, is really important? So as the band comes back up, uh, I'll have one more story, but the band can come back up now, and then we'll also, the ushers can get ready for communion. If you haven't taken communion with us before, um, it'll start up here, and we'll work our way through. And then after everyone has uh, the bread and the wine, then we're going to go, uh, Hannah will come up, and we'll take communion together. But I have one more story uh, that I wanted to, to mention, and this actually happened yesterday. So uh, you might guess that the boys and I, um, we, have been, we do spend quite a bit of time together doing things, Jake and Dylan and myself. And yesterday we went to a, a bow shoot, a 3D shoot. Uh, it was the first one that, that Jake's gotten to go to. We just got him, him a bow. Uh, Dylan, it was his second one. Um, and I've shot quite a few of them, mostly years ago. And, and I beat them both. No, I'm just kidding, I didn't actually. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, you know, uh, it's a thing where you keep score and you keep track of where we're at. Um, and in this case, uh, Dylan actually beat me, and, and since it was Jake's first one, he just got his bow, you know, he, he wasn't too far behind me. But what if that isn't what's important, um, whether it's even with it's my kids or with, with other people? Um, what if we look at just the time spent together and how important that was? We, uh, we got up in the morning, you know, we went together and, and went to the shoot. Uh, we got ready to go, got it signed up. We spent all day, well, half the day together shooting the course. And then when we got done with that, um, we went and had pizza over at Brooklyn Pizza. Um, and, you know, what, so what was important about that? Was it who had the highest score or who did a better job? Or was it more, you know, just the time spent together and, 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 and how we, we got to do that? So we're going to end today uh, with, well, one more question. I almost skipped this one, sorry. Something to think about this week is, is how might we be encouraged by a God who wants our company even when we let him down? Even when, when we don't hit the mark or we don't hit, you know, understand what's important, even when we let him down, he still wants our company. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Narrate Church, find us online at narratechurch.org or look us up on Facebook or Instagram.